0: Today, as we begin here in Acts chapter seven, let me start off by giving you a big truth, and the truth is this. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. Now, that's a, that's a huge thing. That's a deep thing, and I, I truly believe that. So let me say that again. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. Faith. We need to understand that. We need to to set our priorities according to that. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. And so, first, when it comes to salvation, the Bible says, how can you believe in him whom you have not heard? The Bible says faith comes by hearing. And so we need to be very sure you cannot be saved apart from knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through his gospel, knowing Jesus Christ Himself. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. And so understand, you will not be saved. It is impossible to be saved without knowing the truth of Jesus Christ and through that truth, knowing Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, and I want you to understand this this morning as well. It is also a truth after salvation. How many times do we say, oh, I'd like to be a person of great faith. Oh, I would like to be a a person of great faith. Or or when we read of Stephen these past few weeks, we say, oh, I'd I'd like to have a faith like that. I'd love to have a faith like that. Well, guess what? Be sure to understand this. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. It is the same for the saved person. Today, today, and for the past 2 weeks uh, we see Stephen and 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 last week and the week before that especially last week what an what an awesome look at Stephen this this radical disciple with a radical faith and as we look at Stephen it leaves us to wonder what did he know good grief to have a faith like that what Did he know? And I I try to imagine that, to have that kind of faith, to be that committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. What was it that Stephen knew? Well, today we're actually gonna see that as we move through our verses here in chapter seven. Our verses today are entitled, O Ye of Little Knowledge. O Ye of Little Knowledge. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, get ready, We're going to look at Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. That is the most verses I've ever preached, probably by 25 verses uh, in a single setting. And so I want to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous about that. Uh, Probably not as nervous as you are getting ready to hear uh, 53 verses preached. But I want to start off by doing this. I want you to look down at your watch, and I want you to set your clock back one hour this morning. (laughs) I'm gonna ask if you would with me. I'm not gonna read that right now. I'll lead us a word of prayer, then we'll go to these 53 verses. Some of y'all look kind of worried. Let's pray. During Father, we come, we're thankful for you. I'm thankful that when this world burns up, that the hope of Jesus Christ stands. And the truth of Jesus Christ stands. And eternal life stands. Forgiveness of sin, redemption, restoration becomes all the more glorious and points to the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for us as a church today. I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would lead us. Lord, I pray that you would direct us, that you would shape us through your word. Lord, I pray as we study these verses that you would open our ears and you would open our hearts and you would speak to your people. I believe it's possible. Lord, I pray the fruit of that, the result of that is that we, in turn, will be radical disciples, committed disciples, not content to just live and die and pass through these days, and we would have a radical faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that that's the fruit of this service. Lord, I pray, I pray that you've been honored in the, in, the, in the songs that have gone up. I pray that you've been... Been honored in the tithes and the offerings that we bring. I pray that you're, you're honored in the fellowship that we have. And I pray that you're honored in the preaching and the hearing of the word of God. I, Lord, I ask that you move in our midst. I also pray in this hour, if there's one in this room, perhaps one, maybe several, that do not know you, I pray that today in this event, in, in these verses, in this gospel, this gospel, that today they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that they would pass from from death to life. And I pray that it would bring great glory to you. Lord, we submit this to you, we give it to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go, 53 verses. Uh, Let me me set the context here. Stephen... uh, The Bible says that they grab him up. They drag him before the high court. This is the same court, the same men that are responsible for the death of Jesus. They drag him before the Jewish high court. Once he is there, false witnesses have spoken. False witnesses have been produced and they have spoken their lies. They have made their points of contention against Stephen and their accusations have been made. And that sets us up for our verses Today, So chapter seven, verse one, here we go through the verses. And the high priest said, are these things so? The high priest said, are these things so? Now understand here in the first verse, the accusations that are made by these false witnesses against Stephen are that he has spoken against Moses, that he has spoken against the temple and that he has even spoken against, he has blasphemed God himself. Well, we need to understand as we move to our verses today, in this Jewish culture, these three things are the worst things that you could ever do. Now, by themselves, they would be a terrible thing, but together, cumulatively, these three things would be the worst thing that you could ever do. Understand, this is everything they hold dear as the Jewish people, as the Jewish nation, they love Moses and they revere Moses and they hold him in high esteem, especially the law of Moses. And they love the temple, the presence of God, the, the place where they go and they worship there. And then God Himself, their God, the, the God of their nation, Jehovah. And so the high priest hears the accusations and he says, To these three accusations, are these things? So, verse two. And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Herod. Now, in verse two, he starts, and and, and I want you to see, he is respectful to the court that has grabbed him and, and has brought him roughly into their midst. He says, brethren, brothers, He says fathers. He addresses the leaders. Leaders. He starts off with a respectful address. And then he starts, and we're going to read this for the rest of these verses, his discussion. And notice there, he starts with God and he starts with Abraham. And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Herod. Verse 3. And said to them, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Verse four, then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living. Verse five, but he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. Now, verse five, the, the, the account continues and he is laying out their history. He is reminding them of their history. And I think it's an important thing to see here as he stands, And as he speaks, and as he addresses this court, they are in that land. In fact, they are, they were those descendants. And what a tremendous thing. They are those descendants. They were those people, and they were in that land. Before even a son was born, he had no part, not a foot of the land. He said, this will be your land and your descendants will possess it. Will they stand there that day as those people in that land. Verses six and seven. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Verse seven. And whatever nation to which they will become in bondage, I myself will judge said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. He tells them then, you know what? This will be your land. Your descendants will possess this land, but there will be a day when they will be aliens from this land, and they will be enslaved in another nation for 400 years. He tells them that they're gonna be taken to Egypt. That's what he tells them, verse eight. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. Now again, understand these people are the descendants of those 12 sons and it starts there with Abraham and then it goes to the 12 tribes, the 12 sons. These people are the descendants of those 12 sons. Well. As we pass through the eighth verse and we hear of his covenant, I want us to remember Abraham for just a second. You see, the Bible tells us in Genesis that he was saved by faith, that he had faith and his faith was reckoned to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. And so friends, as we move through our verses today, I want you to understand, if we will listen, we'll start to hear the gospel. As we pass through our verses today, if we will but listen, we will start to hear of the cross of Calvary and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Abraham, by faith, it is reckoned to him as righteousness, not of any work that he ever did, but by faith alone. You can start to hear the gospel proclaimed. Next, as he continues, you have the story of Joseph, verses nine and 10. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight, favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. They sell Joseph as a slave. Bible says that God gave him wisdom and favor. He increases and he becomes the most unlikely thing. He becomes the governor over Egypt. In fact, in charge of Pharaoh's own household. Verses 11 through 15. Now a famine came came over all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction with it. And our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, He sent our fathers there the first time. On the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family was disclosed to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent word and invited Jacob, his father, and all of his relatives to come to him, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt, and there he and our fathers died. He continues, he said that God foretold that they would be enslaved. God also promised a deliverer. The Bible says at the time of promise, Moses was born. All right, listen as we read verses 16 through 20. From there they were removed to Shechem and laid in the tomb which Abraham had purchased for a sum of money and the sons of Hamor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose another king over Egypt who nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. Listen to this. It was at this time that Moses was born. And he was lovely in the sight of God. And he was nurtured three months in his father's home. Remember the account? God had foretold that they would be enslaved. He had promised all those years beforehand that he would deliver, that he would send a deliverer. And the verse says, and at the time of promise, Moses was born. God sends a deliverer. God's salvation would come through a deliverer. And at the time of promise, he said they would be enslaved, they would be treated harshly, but they would be delivered. And at the time of promise, a deliverer would come. Folks, if we listen here, we start to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we listen here, if we'll tune our ears, we start to hear the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Galatians 4, it says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. And once again, a deliverer had come. Verses 21 through 29. And after he'd been set aside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. And he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, men, you are brethren, you're brothers. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. The verses tell us that he kills the Egyptian. He sees the, the fight going on. He kills the Egyptian. His own people recall what he's done. And they say, who made you our ruler? And he flees and he hides there in the desert of Midian. Verses 30 through 34. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared him into the wilderness of the Mount Sinai in the flame of the burning thorn bush. When Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. As he approached to look more closely, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look. But the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Verse 34, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans. Listen to this. And have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. Verse 34, it says, God hears the cries of his people. He hears the laments of his people. He sees the state of his people and it says, he says, he came down to rescue them. Folks, listen, if we will start to open our ears here, if we will listen to the words here, we start to hear the gospel proclaimed. The hope of man, be sure and understand this, the only hope is that God himself would come down. Man cannot save himself. He never has been able to, he never will be. Our only hope is that God would be our savior. If he doesn't send a savior, they stay in Egypt. Our only hope, their only hope is that God himself would deliver. This this truth made Isaiah cry out, oh God, that you would rend the heavens and that you would come down. And listen, if we listen to the verses here, we hear the gospel. Born for you today is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Stephen stands before this court and he says that God said, I've seen your oppression and I myself have come down to rescue you. Verse 35. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. Listen to verse 35 and you can hear the gospel. He came into his own, but his own received him not. Verses 36 and 37. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Stephen tells them, You accuse me of slandering Moses. I'm accounting to you. I'm telling you the the life of Moses. This is the Moses that you love, the Moses that you hold dear. And in verse 37, the Moses that you accuse me of slandering told you of Christ. That's what he tells them. This Moses that you have me on trial for, he told you of Christ. If you listen, you can start to hear the gospel. Verses 39 through 43. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and in their hearts they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has happened to him. Verse 41. And at that time, they made a calf and, bought, and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Verse 42, but God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven as it is written in the book of prophets. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it? O house of Israel, verse 43. You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the God of Romphah the images which you made to worship, I also will remove you beyond Babylon. They say that he blasphemes the temple. He starts here now to describe the tabernacle as he unfolds their history, verses 44 through 50. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen and having turned it having received it in their turn our fathers brought it with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob but it was Solomon who built a house for him however the most high does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all things? He now tells of the temple, and he tells them the great truth, that you know what, God is not kept in a temple. He does not reside in a house that is made by men, not with man's hand. And so I want you to understand the progression through these verses. They have accused him of speaking against Moses. They have accused him of speaking against the temple. They have accused him again of blaspheming God himself. And so now in these verses, notice he has carefully and precisely told them of the God that they follow, the God that they serve. He has told them of Moses and the law that he brought and the leadership that he gave. He has told them of the temple that it was built, the tabernacle first, the desire of David, the fulfillment in Solomon. He has told them of the temple. He has answered their charges. And now he turns to them. Verse 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Stiff necked, the word that he says, you stiff necked, the word stiff necked means unwilling to listen. They, they didn't care about the truth, they didn't even want to hear it. It means they are obstinate. They, they are obstinate. They are in rebellion. They are unbelieving, and they're unbelieving because they're not desiring to be hearing. And so they are a stiff-necked person. It's as if the truth were right beside them, but they wouldn't turn their necks to look to the truth. They were obstinate in the path they were going. You stiff-necked. He tells them here, maybe they were circumcised, but their hearts are hard. He tells them their ears are shut. And he goes even further, it says, even to God himself. It says, you resist, you reject the spirit of God, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers did before you. Verses 52 and 53. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Can you see these men as they sit there? Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. He tells them in these last two verses that we're gonna look at, he says the prophets came. The prophets said, repent. The prophets tried to turn the nation back to God. The prophets came and they announced the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, you, like your fathers before you, the ones that had the laws that pointed to Jesus Christ, you, like those fathers ahead of you, have denied the Christ as well. And so now in these 53 verses, he has answered their objectives, objections. Here in these 53 verses, he has answered their accusations. And now he has made it personal to them. You, like your fathers, you deny the truth. You, like your fathers, you're not willing to turn and to see the truth, even rejecting the testimony of God himself. He lays it out. And they sit and they hear. Next week, we're gonna see their response. But I wanna go back and and go back to our original thought. Remember the truth. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. Oh, I'd like to have a faith like that. Oh, I'd like to be like Stephen as bold as Stephen. Oh, I'd I'd love to have a faith like that, so radical. A lack of knowledge results in a lack of faith. Remember seeing Stephen in his radical faith. The question was, the question we began with today, what did Stephen know? What did Stephen know to have such a radical faith? What, what did Stephen know? Well, today we're gonna conclude and I'm gonna, I'm gonna point out here three things that Stephen knew. Now, not just that, but three things that we can know as well. I've said all the way through this study, God is training us in these last days by looking at the church in the first days. And so we're going to see as we look at these verses today, three things that Stephen knew. We're also going to see three things that we can know, in fact, that we should know as well to have such a faith. And so here they are, these three things. First thing is this. What did Stephen know? Three things Stephen knew. First thing is this. He knew what he believed and he knew why he believed it. Now, I don't want you to go too quickly over that. That that seems to be very clear in these verses, but I want you to see that with clarity today. He knows what he believes and he knows why he believes it. And as he stands here before this court, he knows That Jesus is the Messiah. You would only make this speech if you knew that. He is sure Jesus is the Messiah. He is sure of it. And not only that, he knows why. I want you to notice as we pass through those first 50 verses, he knows the story of the Old Testament. In fact, we sit there, he has no cheat sheet. He has no notes before him. He knows the scripture of the Old Testament. If you notice in several of those places, he quotes it verbatim. He knows what he believes and he knows why he believes it. Friends, I'm afraid we have been snowed into puny little faiths today because someone has told us that the minimum was enough. And instead of searching the Scriptures, instead of knowing the Scriptures, instead of thinking about the Scriptures, instead of coming and hearing where the Scriptures are explained, instead of memorizing the Scriptures, we say, well, I just take it on faith. You ever heard that? Maybe you've said it. I just take it on faith. Well, I just accept it. I just accept it. I don't know all of that. I I don't even try to understand all that. That's so far above me. I just accept it. I'm fine with that. I just take it on faith. Friends, I want you to understand today, it is faith, but I want you to be sure it is not a blind faith. It is not an ignorant faith, but rather it is an informed faith, and it's informed by the word of God himself. You know, we ought to know what we believe and we ought to know why we believe it. When somebody comes along and says, you know what, I think there's more than one way to be saved. Let me, say, let me tell you what the scripture says. There's only one name by which we must be saved, given among men. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And when someone comes along and says, you know what, it wasn't an actual resurrection. It was a spiritual resurrection. It doesn't really matter to us, does it? We can go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and say, what if there is no resurrection, you have no faith, you're empty, most pitied of all men, you are dead in your sins and you are bathed in death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He knew what he believed and he knew why he believed it. We are to have an informed faith and it's to be informed by the word of God. Church, we have to be serious about the word of God. We have to be serious about the word of God. First thing, he knew what he believed, he knew why he believed it. Second thing, he knew, listen to this, Jesus is the subject of scripture. Now, as you read that account, it becomes increasingly aware, if you think about the depth of that, Here's what Stephen knew. Stephen knew that Jesus is the subject of Scripture. You know, you know what? We miss almost everything if we think Jesus only shows up in Matthew. And I think some of us think that. We, we miss almost everything. We miss so much if we say, well, there's the Old Testament, that's okay, but I don't, really don't understand that. We find Jesus in the New Testament, and so all those focus there. We we miss so much, we miss almost everything. If we think, well, the Old Testament God, he's a God of judgment and laws and commands. I'm not interested in that. But the New Testament God and Jesus, he's all about hope and forgiveness. Friends, we need to understand the subject of all scripture is Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, the subject of scripture is Jesus. Stephen knew that. He knew the subject of scripture was Jesus. He shows us. I thought about that as I read those verses. Read 53 verses and plan a sermon. Read those verses. As I I read those verses, I thought, what is he saying? What is he saying? You know, I can go back to Genesis and find that. What is he saying? What is he saying to that court? What is it saying today? Here's what he's showing us as he says that account. He knows the subject of scripture is Jesus. And he knows the promised blessing through Abraham is Jesus. He knows the promised inheritance promised to Abraham. He knows that's Jesus. He knows the blessing that's to be for all nations, not just for one nation that is told to Abraham. He knows that's Jesus. He knows that what man intends for evil results in deliverance. And like Joseph is mirrored now in Jesus. He knew that was in Jesus. He knows the ways of man's help was sown into God's plan, and like Joseph, he sees that that has now lived out in Jesus. He knows the laws that they love so much, the laws that were given to Moses. He knows they pointed to Jesus. More than that, he knows the only one that's ever fulfilled those laws, that ever kept those laws, is Jesus. He knows the Passover lamb that's prescribed by Moses. We like the Passover festival. He knows that that lamb is Jesus. He knows that we're saved by the blood, not of that lamb, but of the lamb Jesus. He knew that the temple marked the holiness of God. He knew that the temple marked the presence of God, but he also knows it's only gonna be accessible to you as the curtain is torn, and that happens in Jesus. He knows that God comes down to save us born of a virgin, God himself in Jesus. Stephen knew the subject of scripture is Jesus. And look at the faith that it resulted in. Well, I don't know that I I know that. I don't know that I know that book. I don't know that I know those verses. I don't know that I know how that ties in. Look at the faith that it built in Stephen. He knew the Christ was Jesus. First thing, he knew what he believed and he knew why he believed it. Second thing, he knew the subject of scripture is Jesus. And the third thing is this, and don't you miss it. Third thing is this, see this. He knew to reject Jesus was to reject God. You see, they were trying to make a distinction there. They were trying to say, know, we love the Lord our God. We don't love Jesus. And, you know, we, we accept and we promote and we uphold the, the commands of God, the honor of God, but we don't uphold the, the teachings and the claims of Jesus. And he knew, Stephen knew, that to reject Jesus was to reject God. Notice there in verse 52. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming, notice this, of the righteous one. That righteous one is talking about the Messiah. That's talking about the Christ. That's talking about the Savior of God. They killed those who previously announced the coming of the Christ, of the Messiah. This righteous one, it says, whose betrayers and murderers You have now become, now I want you to follow with me. See this, who did they betray? Who had they murdered? It was Jesus the Nazarene. Do you see how this snaps into place? Do you see how this fits? The one that you have betrayed, the one that you had murdered, he was the fulfillment of the scripture. He was the fulfillment of the the pointing of the law to Jesus. He was the fulfillment of the, the prophecies of those Old Testament prophets. And you know what? He is the one that you have betrayed, and now he is the one that you have murdered. And so it is Jesus the Nazarene. It is Jesus, the one from Galilee. That is the Jesus. It's the one that you have laid your hands on, the one that you touched and that you drugged there to the court. It is that Jesus. It's the one that you put on trial. It is that Jesus. It's the one, the Nazarene, the one from Galilee that you stretched out and you nailed to the cross. Not another Jesus. It is that Jesus. And by rejecting that Jesus, he tells them, you have rejected Jesus. The promised heir of Abraham. You have promised the fulfillment of the law. You have, you have missed the one who came, the only one that could save those who are under the law. They had, they had rejected their deliverance from God. They had rejected the Savior, the only Savior. And when they reject that, Jesus Christ, they rejected God. He didn't need a defense attorney these are the accusations, he defends them. He not only defends them, he says they were all pointing to Jesus. And if we're not clear which Jesus, it's that Jesus. And by rejecting Jesus, you have rejected God. And that's what Stephen knew. Let me tell you this morning. Today it is the same. And to reject Jesus Christ is to reject God himself. You see, our world says maybe there's other ways to be saved. Maybe it's not all in Jesus. Maybe God can reveal himself some different way. He he tells us how he's revealed himself. We say, well, maybe being a good enough person, surely he's not gonna judge a good person. We need to understand to reject Jesus is to reject God himself. And when you reject Jesus Christ you have rejected God's forgiveness for sin. When you reject Jesus Christ, you've rejected your hope and you have no hope. The only hope, you've rejected it. When you reject Jesus Christ, you reject the grace of God. He is gracious and he is merciful unto sinners. But when you reject Jesus Christ, you put your hand up and you reject the graciousness of our God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. 53 verses, here's the point. So don't do it, don't do it. Dear friend, don't reject Jesus, turn to Jesus. Don't reject Jesus, don't deny the truth of Jesus. Listen, grab hold of Jesus, it is your hope and it's the truth, grab hold of Jesus, don't you dare do it, don't reject God's grace. Jesus is your hope. I imagine for a split second it's silent. We're gonna read the response next week, but I imagine for a a split second it's silent. They had a decision to make. So do you. So do we. You can reject Jesus Christ and you can give all the reasons. Well, you don't know my past. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know what the church has done to me. Well, I don't know if that's intellectually smart. I don't know that I can believe and trust in that. You can reject Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you something, friend. When you do, you reject the only hope you'll ever have. You reject the only Savior that's ever come. You reject the forgiveness of your sin. You'll carry him and you'll walk under the burden of that sin. You'll die. And you'll be separated from God for all eternity. Do not reject Jesus. Let's pray. Every Father, we come, and I am thankful for the truth that Stephen lays out. Lord, I pray as we pass through those verses, I, I pray that as we sit here today, that there will be a desire in us to know what we believe, and to know why we believe it, that we could give a defense, as we see in 1 in Peter, for the hope that's within us. Help us to know what we believe and why we believe it, and let it build a faith in us, and let it build a witness in us. Lord, help us to see that Jesus is the subject of Scripture. And maybe when we get bored in Leviticus and when we get bored in 2 Chronicles, we would turn our eyes to Jesus and we would want to see Jesus and so we would dig back in and ask you, Lord, to show us Jesus. And Lord, I pray that it will be stamped upon our heart that we reject Jesus, is to reject you. And I pray each of us here as an individual that we would turn and we would put our heart, our trust, our hope, our faith, our belief in you I pray for maybe some here that some that haven't done that. I pray that today they trust you and they turn to you, that today they're saved. Lord, I'm thankful for such a precious gospel. Lord, I'm thankful for such a treasured gospel. Lord, I'm thankful for such a gracious gospel that can be applied to even me. I thank you for it. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you would move, that you would speak, that you would lead. I pray that the Savior of this gospel, Jesus, will be exalted. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.